Hey everybody and welcome back to Retromancer episode 5. We're pleased to be here again. How are you doing, Steven? Oh man, 5 episodes? I can't believe we made it this far, Nathan. <laughs> Alright, so my number one question for you is, did you keep your promise to make a deck for this episode? I did. Nathan, I did. I actually made a deck. Well, I... We correct this. I took someone else's deck and maybe made it more of my own. I mean, I think I think the final product was, was quite different, but uh, it's good. That's good. I also made a deck. Um, it's probably not exciting as yours, but let's talk more about that later because we have a couple exciting things that have happened in Netrunner since our last episode. Oh, yeah. Nisei announced the Borealis Cycle. That's pretty exciting. I'm I'm actually extremely excited. I've been having a lot of fun with um, everything that they've been putting out, and I and I, I I'm just waiting for the next thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the the startup card pool is kind of what we've sort of taken a deep dive in, and I'm not saying that uh, we've run out of content to be exploring, but you know, it it you definitely can see there was an evolution in their design philosophy from when they did the ashes cycle right after um, kind of the end of the uh, Android Netrunner from Fantasy Flight. And then sort of they made their cycle and then they came out with this new system gateway and the system uh, update. And I'm looking forward to kind of like where their next step is. Yeah. So uh, early in September, uh june cuervo uh i believe she's the lead designer for this set uh did an announcement uh called into the depths and we'll link it in the podcast description um just talking uh, announcing the cycle and then also offering us um some of their design philosophy and direction uh going into there so i don't want to go over everything in the announcement but uh what are your what are your thoughts on this what kind of spoke to you well, you know, uh, I think we could get into kind of the cool little teasers they got in in a moment, but I kind of one of the things that caught my eye was they're talking about the game length mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. where they wanted to be like almost like a lunch break kind of time period. So like 30 to 45 minute games. And I think we all kind of want something to to feel like we've had fun, but it doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah, absolutely. So, what about you? Was there anything else kind of in the introduction part you thought that stood out to you? Um, so I do really like, let's talk a little bit more about um, the focus on game length because she actually mentioned a couple things. She mentioned game length specifically and also grinding um, uh, specifically. Mm. So <clears throat> uh, that, 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 that is a really, really kind of hard thing to dial in. And like one of these things about these constructed card games is they have a nature of kind of going going long right and uh netrunner in particular like for a game with the complexity of netrunner it's been really hard to kind of shrink it down without having the game kind of feel at least partially robbed of you know part of the experience um <clears throat> so how do you think how do you like what do you think they're going to do to try to shrink the games here yeah i don't know uh maybe alternate win conditions um uh... I don't know if you need to, like, I think there was an example with Magic where, you know, if you made 10 treasures and played a card, you'd win the game. I don't know if it's going to be something as simple as that, but 
they talk about really, I think she specifically mentions like uh, managing your credit pool and making it as calculation in the game kind of as important as bluffing. So that's kind of an interesting way to look at it, I guess. I don't know. what. How do you feel they could pull that off? Well, there are a couple like really obviously like so you mentioned adding win conditions and um obviously you can print more powerful cards uh i think printing more powerful cards is a really interesting almost bit of a trap um because we've done that in the past right we're like you know what we're hungry for more exciting meaningful powerful effects that are going to end games um and then you know you play with it and it's absolutely broken <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and we have to get rid of it, right? And uh, yep, and that's um not that's not really you know what you want. That, you know, <clears throat> I don't think that's I don't think that's true. What we want is we want a game where every moment is meaningful. I think that is what uh, June is describing here. Um, is you you really don't want sections in your game where you're sort of you know doing a lot of things that are really just building up to a one one thing like we want the game to be designed around like you're going to do a thing the thing is going to happen and like your opponent may have a counter to it maybe they don't but it's going to produce a meaningful effect on the game um and that, that that's going to be uh appreciable you know it can't it can't be tiny um <clears throat> and i don't really know how I feel about it. I, I do respect that. And if you can get that right, I mean, it's it's incredible, right? It's fantastic. I do think that probably one of the most important fundamental qualities of a game is pacing. The game pace is so important. And like every issue kind of comes down to like this this issue of like pacing um and you know it's just like oh well the game feels like it's being grindy it's going on too long and when you try to break down what does grindy mean and they go well there's just kind of this section where like my demise is inevitable but it's it, it happened 10 minutes ago you know and then mm -hmm. and then you know i know it's going to happen in 10 minutes from now so like let's just get it over with you know I, i'm just gonna concede because because it's you know what you want is you want um, you want a dramatic moment of buildup and then you want it to have a dramatic resolution and then you want it to quickly end, uh, so that people, you walk away and say, oh, you got me good game. You know, the game, the game ends when it should. And that's extremely hard to do. Yeah. And, uh, I think there was another thing she mentioned where kind of t reducing a, uh, corpse, uh, defensive power and upping their offensive power. I, mm -hmm. I think that's another one that's tough to dial in. Like, you know, with the Android Debt Runner, they also had, uh, you know, Scorched Earth and one tag, you could be dead. So hopefully they could find a way to add some fun offensive tools that aren't too powerful. I think Ashes had a few of them, but mm -hmm. they had way too many conditions to make them good. Like, are you talking about uh, the Neurospike? Uh, no, not Neurospike. Uh, I think it, the like, complete image where you, oh. you do a net damage and if you hit the card you named, you could keep doing that damage, repeating it over and over again. So, yeah. uh, I don't know if 
Uh, I think there was another one for uh, like a fast advance alternative for NBN where, you know, you name a card type and the runner would reveal their hand and you get to put as many tokens down as those types were. So I think that maybe they could find something that does interesting things that hopefully learn from experience. Sure. Um, so I do appreciate their focus on the game's pacing. I think that actually mm-hmm. is is probably a really good thing to focus on always, forever. You'll never get away from it. You'll always really, really want to be sure that the game is pacing out exactly as you like and exactly in a way that feels good. Um, I remember we read an article on Stimhack a while back talking about power levels of cards and how when um, you have cards with low power levels, um, you get kind of more of this fundamental netrunner, but then at the same time, games kind of feel a little samey. And then when you okay. have cards with higher power levels, that obviously pushes out the cards with low power levels. And then you end up playing this combo deck versus that combo deck, which are teched against each other in specific ways. Um, and we've definitely seen that in the history of netrunner. And some people really like that. Uh, and that's fair. Um, I I don't love that. I, I don't want the game to just be... I, I don't want to sound like I'm I, I'm shrinking this, but what I don't want to see is for the game to get to a point where it's like, can I draw my combo versus you draw your combo, right? Um, and then that's just kind of like, eh, this isn't mm-hmm. interesting anymore. Um, so get, getting that sweet spot between the two is really hard. And what I'm concerned about is if the pursuit of having powerful meaningful effects just kind of results in this, this power level spike... Um, it you know you want it to feel good i hope they get what that they're aiming for the fact that they care about it and are calling it out specifically yeah you know it gives me encouragement um so i i hope i'm really excited to see uh what they intend to do with that and i hope it's not another apocalypse yeah uh <laughs> one of the things i was going to think of is also we've kind of been uh approaching the card pool from like the startup perspective so a much more limited card pool and this cycle is also aimed to influence the standard card pool too so there's something that where this could have you know even startup maybe it seems completely bonkers but maybe it's standard it's gonna really shape the meta in a productive way that more people are enjoying so i hope that i I don't necessarily think they're designing uh i'm sure they're testing it both formats but Sure. You know, it'll be interesting to see if they can make both formats work with the cards too. I mean, I think uh, the thing about Startup definitely is that they were going for more of that kind of like standard Netrunner experience. And for mm-hmm. that reason, a lot of the cards really just don't meet the power level of previous printed cards. And yeah. it isn't going to make a splash in standard. So if they intend to make a splash in standard, that kind of tells me that they're going to print cards that are quite a bit stronger than the cards from Startup. Yeah, that's a, that's a good perspective. All right, so um, just a couple more things um, from here. Uh, so we have uh, uh, a couple of the features uh, that she listed through of the uh, of the set as well. Um, one that is the one that it kind of excites me the most is I know this isn't very influential at all, but is the cybernetics. Um, mm. Like normally, I'm not really super into keywords, but Remembering that the theme of cybernetics are basically hardware modifications that damage your body. Uh, so we have um, net ready eyes, titanium ribs, 
um, Skulljack, I think. That was my favorite one. Uh, take a brain damage, reduce the co- trash cost of all cards. Oh, man, that is that is so my jam right yeah. there. I, I love that. I tried to make that card work. <laughs> uh, and so I'm excited for the idea of cybernetics. I kind of like this idea of cards that, that hurt you. Um, what else? What else is there that you're excited about? Oh man, well, I'm kind of intrigued by the. We we kind of talked off the before we started about the keywords, but I suspect I wonder if the keywords will be the three new keywords they'll introduce will be for each of the different runner factions. Sort mm, of like definitely each faction does a different thing. The other one is the the three more two one agendas i'm assuming each faction will have its own unique two one that doesn't already have one so wayland's got um there's already what do you think the effects Those of are adding, kind of by what what is adding two ones going to do to the game is it going to do anything i mean like we have three twos but they're unique for each faction in startup and that yeah. doesn't like basically the idea is is like here's a cool tool you can have and you can fast advance but there's not enough of them to build your whole deck around fast advancing which is good that's what we want yeah, and it's interesting. I think that uh, they have to be impactful. Um, they also could be kind of bland. You know, you could have uh, maybe you score the the two one and it doesn't affect, and then you can sacrifice it for another effect or, or like um, the NBN one histo- where you could historically two ones have been really powerful, right? Um, That's true. Hostile takeover, breaking news. Um, what what's that one that lets you shuffle it back into your deck? Oh my goodness. Uh the NBN Was it like one? 24, 20, 24 something. Uh 20, yeah, something like that. Um Clone Retirement. Oh man, that's yep. that's one of my favorite ones. You're like, if the runner finds out it's bad publicity, but if you find out it's not bad publicity, I mean if they don't find out and you score it, then it's not bad publicity. You're um, removing it. Oh uh, yeah. you're like, yeah, dude, we're just we're just putting them to bed. And you're like, oh, God, what does that mean? <laughs> so they're generally really oh, powerful, no. I think, historically. And I think they need to be because they are taking up a slot in your deck. Um, and yeah. the thing about agendas is that they kind of are those slots in your deck that don't really do anything. Um, and so historically, we've seen them be a lot more powerful. So I expect it's going to be something strong. That's true. And uh, the other one that caught my eye is uh, standard legal neutral identities, one for the core and one for the runner. What do you... How do you think that's going to work? So my impression of neutral identities was basically exactly what they did with the mini factions. Uh, You know, after I thought about it for a while, I realized that the mini factions were basically, they wanted to make a neutral ID, but they wanted to make it interesting. So, um, and I think part of this was inspired by they had cards that they wanted to print that were going to be neutral cards. For example, uh, Lucky Find, I think was the, um three money gain nine for two clicks um but it costs two influence right so it's like another sure gamble in your deck but it costs two influence um and that was good it cost influence right uh it costs influence for everyone no matter who you are and the idea was i think they had a lot of cards that they wanted to print like that but they didn't have any home for them they wanted them to be neutral but they wanted to do it more interestingly so multi-threader for adam was they were basically like we want this program with two recurring credits for programs. That's awesome. But we can't give it to Shaper because it's going to be too strong. And we can't give it to anyone. It's going to be too strong. But we also don't want to make it just neutral. That's kind of boring. Can we make this more interesting? Same thing with Apocalypse. Um, and, and and same thing with the uh, with the Breakers. Um, 
with a cloud breakers, yeah. cloud breakers, right? And so they were like, well, how can we make this more interesting? So they made identities for them. And then they're like, this is super cool. Let's put some other effects in here. Uh, and they kind of rounded it out. And so the idea of having a neutral identity, um, like I'm, I'm assuming, I mean, I don't really know how else you would do it other than the way, um, fantasy flight did it with the original neutral factions, which was great by the way. Um, yeah. but I, I don't really know. I think, I think personally that's the, the best I can imagine it going. What, what about you? I'm intrigued to see if they print neutral. They, I assume they would have called them a mini faction if that's the idea they were going for, hmm. like making a fifth core and a, a, a fourth rudder. Um, yeah, that's, but yeah, I, I wonder if they'll have neutral cards with influence more than we have seen for especially I don't think there's a lot of neutral uh, core cards other than vulnerability audit and startup the four three um, yeah. agenda and there are a few runner cards too um, but yeah it'll be interesting if they decide to do it a bitty faction or just just plain neutral sure sure well that's pretty exciting I'm I'm really excited to see uh see what they spoil for us and i really liked that june did this nice little uh, focus write-up for us though i really appreciated that from her yeah that was a lot of fun and they also uh i think they released a little fiction too that will link in the uh, show notes and it's definitely fun to read and, and try to suss out what might be you know a hint about a card or what's a card that's already in the game so that was fun awesome all right, so let's go ahead and transition now and uh, and talk about the decks we made for this week. Uh, we committed to trying to uh, apply our skills. We're going to take the leap, and we decided we were going to try to make our own decks this week, uh, which is really challenging, I got to say. Um, it's, it's really hard to go and build a deck uh, when you don't live in the card pool. When I used to play this game when I was younger, I like lived in the card pool, so it wasn't even... Like, I blazed past this step, but I'm older now, and I don't play as much, and so it was really intimidating. Uh, so uh, so what did we make? <laughs> First of all, before we get into this, when you were younger was only about five years ago or so. Not, not you weren't like a young buck there. You were, you were a little, uh, nope. you know, in your, your 20s. It was 2014, Stephen. <laughs> it was seven years ago. Seven log years. Oh no, I can't believe it. That was almost a decade ago. I can't believe we played yeah. Netrunner almost a decade ago. Okay, okay. Oh man. So uh the decks we made. Um uh, I was having fun with um a restoring humanity deck by Thanos uh PKC. And uh I sort of started tweaking it. And I kind of came up with a fun deck to play out of Yobu Institute, which is a Jinteki ID from the uh, Ashes Cycle. That's the one where if you reveal a card once per turn, uh, you gain an extra credit. Exactly. And uh, originally, I think it was more of a kill deck where you wanted to reveal cards to try to Killed them, especially with the one card that came out that's like a complete image. Complete image, right? Uh, it's like a deal in net damage, and and if you if you name the card that the net damage discards, you get to do another net damage, and you can repeat the effect. 
Exactly. So the idea is you scry their whole hand and then you try to like OTK them as like a, a last ditch effort because you can only play it if the runner has at least three points. Exa yeah. So you had to, they had to be kind of on the way towards winning or really close to winning. Um, but I sort of took it a different way uh, where I wanted to just trigger my ID as much as possible on both players' turns to kind of rush out uh, behind some alternative uh, end-the-run stuff, like uh, Hyobu uh, Precog Manifold, which was in the other guy's deck. Uh, but I wanted to uh, make it even more rushy with like Flower Sermon, where I, if I score that agenda, I'm trying to make money and draw cards on my opponent's turn. And uh, then I try to score out uh, an agenda by installing and advancing it and playing it with some protective thing, like a uh, Anawitic Void or Hyobu, or defend it with a Nisei counter if I've scored one already too. Sure. So you're saying this is like a like a rush deck. So what kind of pacing are you looking at? How like when do you usually like try to win by? So I was, I think in a, most of my games, while I was testing and refining it, I was trying to win before turn 15 or around turn 15. Hmm. So you want to score an agenda, you know, in your third turn, if you can, mm -hmm. setting it up kind of on the second turn, either drawing cards and you're trying to time, especially like maybe against a criminal or a shaper, if they run into an Engram flush or a, Sanctitan, and they have to pause for a turn to draw up or get money again. That's the turn you just like, okay, I've got one ice on the remote. I've got this defensive card in this agenda. I need to score it out. So you really need to use your tempo. Like, that's a key part of succeeding. Uh, if the runner gets too set up, it's very hard to win. Yes. Or you're trying to be scoring your third or fourth agenda to win right when they're about to hit their late game and then it's too too late so you've got to really try to be rushed especially if you score a nisei you um mark two you can be really aggressive on scoring out your second or third agenda to win and that's also what the vulnerability audits are for is to try to make it so you only need three agendas and hopefully you can keep them from scoring three agendas sure it seemed to me like you were trying to aim for wins around like turn 10 was kind of my observation watching the deck. Uh, it seemed like 15 was probably a bit uh, a bit too late. Uh, but I definitely play games against you where you started out really slow and then you pulled out the tools you needed to really just jam a win in like the late mid game. Uh, kind of really surprisingly, like you locked me behind like a piece of ice I couldn't get behind, and then you scored two agendas in three turns. Yeah, and that was the other fun thing about the subliminal messaging in uh, the deck, because you can use it to get a credit. Also, that's another way to trigger the ID, because when you draw the subliminal message back to your hand, that is also revealing a card. So there was some sure. fun... You really don't... You have burst econ, and then hopefully your ID triggers are helping sustain this really aggressive installing and, and using defensive cards like Andoedic. Um Flower Sermon's awesome is really what it comes down to. It's, I think that's a really fun agenda. Sure. So so what is... Before we kind of talk about the specific combos um, that you landed, that you found, which I, I was really pleased with, uh, what do you, what's just kind of the most striking thing about the deck like what's like just give me like a give me like kind of a like a little two senses summary like what, what are your thoughts on it 
I, the one thing was I, I kind of stumbled into a deck that I normally don't play. I'm normally like Glacier uh, was kind of my play style. And that's sort of what the restoring um, humanity deck originally was, where you're stacking Bioroids and then you have a Hyobu or Anawedic behind them. So they really can only click through or run once you stop them and then you can you know score immediately afterwards. And this one was more of like, no, I, I have a really bad ice and we have to play three side games if I want to score this agenda sometimes. But that's just what you have to do to try to win. Sure. It definitely seemed so. Originally, once like Caprice came out, uh, you got the whole Caprice Ash thing going on. Uh, Quark mm-hmm. finally had the ability to be like, I've got this unassailable remote. And that was defining for Netrunner for a really long time. And some people, um, e- even now, some people look back and they're like, that's the best Netrunner uh, for me. That's the Netrunner that I, I really like and remember. But it seemed like they were definitely moving away from that. Uh, not entirely, though. Like, Anoetic Void definitely fulfills a very similar function to Caprice in a different way. And then Hyobu does not, I would say... Uh, you know, your goal is to get Caprice into remote and there she is safe. And Hyobu is more like, I'm using this to get a Caprice effect for one turn to try to score out an agenda. So I think it makes sense that you're gonna not going to be able to play the late game decks that you used to be able to play with Jinteki because they designed away from that. Um, in my opinion, I really like that. Uh, and it's, so your kind of conclusion here is that you walked away with this, like, I'm rushing and using tools like, Hyobu or Anoetic or whatever to score things as fast as possible. I do not intend to these for these to become like ultimate late game solutions. They are a stopgap to give me time to score agendas right now. Yeah, and that's also why I like the Nisei Mark II in there because you need to score two to three, sorry, well, three to four agendas. And if one of them happens to be the DSA. That's just one extra end the run thing that might keep your really rickety remote uh, held together from holding up to score the last agenda. So, and and just it for a detail is um, so you're not running Mangarm Skunkworks. Um, your defensive your defensive tools here are Anoetic, uh, Hyobu Prefold Manifold, Precog Manifold, which is the lockdown that um, side games on a server. Uh, and then and then Nisei counters, right? That's it. That's what you're using to defend your remotes. Yep. And, and, the, and the Nisei st- counter cannot be used after you lose the side game on Hyobu, right? Like Caprice could in the past. Exactly. So you have to use the Nisei token first uh, or earlier. Like if you have an Anoetic, you keep them out as long as you can, then you Nisei them. And then if you somehow manage to have all three, then you have to rely on Hyobu. But normally, because you don't have time to sit back and try to stack two defensive pieces, you're just like, well, I've got this Enigma, and I've got this Anoetic, and I'm scoring this agenda. And if you steal it, that might be game right there. And if you have all three effects, if you have a Nisei plus Anoetic plus Hyobu, what is the order that those resolve in? So if I remember correctly, um, the Nisei token would have to be used first. Uh, the Anoetic triggers when they approach the server, and the Hyobu Precog Manifold is really weird and works when the run is considered successful. So they successfully run, and then we play a side game 
And if we happen to have different choices, then that suddenly the run's over. Okay, so it is like an inversion of the old system where it's like you could save the Nisei in case you lost the side game. Now the side game is last. That's probably intentional why they made the Kyobu trigger on success for that exact reason. They don't want mm-hmm. you to be able to use anything after it. Um, so now it's you You have your main expendable line of defense and your Nisei token. Then you have your Anduidic if you want. I guess those are really similar. So it's not like there's a random chance in there. But you can't basically protect yourself behind the RNG like you could before. Now the RNG protects you after you've made a decision to not protect yourself. Exactly, yep. And right. uh, the and that's where especially sometimes you have to just rush out. You're like, well, I've got exactly enough money to score next turn. Um, and then I've got I could win one side game and I could res one piece of ice. Is kind of sometimes what you're you know, you have only eight or nine credits you're like well here we go i've got my one advanced uh, card let's go so you found a lot of combos cards that i don't think people really think about combo with uh, uh hyobu so i mean ultimately right like you could be you know if you're swimming you could be etf level uh you know almost a credit per turn if everything's working out for you the way you want so what are the cards that combo with hyobu that you found out so the big one, I think the most important one is Flower Sermon, and that is an agenda. It's a Jinteki four advance and uh, worth two points. When you score it, it gets five agenda counters, and you can spend an agenda counter once per turn. So either on the runners or the corpse turn, you reveal the top card of R&D. That's what triggers your ID. You draw two cards, and then you put one card from your hand, doesn't have to be any of the ones you just drew, on top of R&D. So you kind of get DrippyCon and CardiCon. Uh, so I've never seen people play Flower Sermon. So this is kind of interesting. And I didn't actually realize just how important the tempo of the card was. Because I, I I thought about the whole like, oh, I can put a snare back on top of R&D. But it literally, like you, you get a one card advantage when you use the effect, right? And so you score a flower sermon and it's effectively five counters, draw five cards. And that's kind of crazy when your deck is just gas, right? Uh, I mean, it gives you, and then in addition to that, now with the Hyobu, it's giving you five credits. Um, And so, I mean, you can use it to just like, you were in a lull and now you're rip roaring ready to go, man. Yeah, and I was finding in some games that after I scored something, I could be at no credits and within two to three turns be scoring again. Um, just completely broke, but because I could draw cards on my own turn and then your turn, um, maybe have some other triggers, I could suddenly bounce back to a really good or a reasonable amount of money. You put a predictive planogram in the deck, right? Yes, and that's because of you, my friend. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you were running it in your personal evolution decks and uh, just the option to draw three cards. That's the main reason, but having the flexibility to where you're like, well, next turn I want to score, I need three credits. So having, and there's very, sometimes you get really lucky and they float attack and you get both. And then it feels really good. Sure. Um, so you could, and, and so you could do this combo where you go down to zero and then on their turn trigger flower sermon for a credit and a card, your turn trigger flower sermon for a credit and a card. And then on your turn, you could play predictive planogram 
uh, to gain three credits and then hedge funds to go up to nine and then install an agenda in your remote. Uh, and yep. then next year, or they like advance, you know, Hyobu Precog Manifold, install Anuidic Void, and now the runner's in trouble and it's only been two turns. Yep. And, and at the same time, you can also just keep, yep, keep using Flower Sermon. And then it's all just event cards to draw cards or uh, kind of hide agendas like with, i put a copy of sprint and the uh, spin doctors in there too just to kind of keep keep drawing keep so got, getting fuel you've got the gas you've got flower sermon for draw which is five cards per one that you score you've got three predictive planograms you've got three sprints and you've got three spin doctors no i i went with two red level clearances in one sprint in the final version i came up with got it okay Sure. So that, uh, I mean, that's a lot of gas. That is a that is a draw heavy deck. I would say the one that surprised yeah. me was the flower storm, and I just did not realize that that card gives you so much card draw. It's insane. Yeah, and the fun, silly, weird combo is that you can they commit to accessing your R and D, and then you can trigger it. So if they only are getting a single access, or even maybe they have a jailbreak, you could just draw some cards and throw something on R&D. That's the worst case scenario, just to try to maybe deny them an agenda. Um, but you can put in this deck a snare on top. Sometimes they get you a win if they're not careful. I mean, especially um, if you're at three credits and they forget about the Hyobu ability. Yep, yep. And uh, the other uh, great move is, you know, you've... Uh, I think in other decks, it makes me think about maybe putting this in PE. Uh, because now you can put stings on top of the deck, so you basically have, you know, possibly three baby snares and three real snares, and that's pretty scary if you're plinking them for net damage along the way too. Sure, sure. And then you also said that um, subliminal works with the ID. Yeah, so subliminal on it says when it triggers and returns you hand, you reveal the card. So even if it's face up or face down you will get a credit when you redraw it. And if you redraw them, you can spend it for another free clickless credit on your turn. So that's, you could turn subliminals into two credits a turn, which is really fun. That's, that's really insane for a zero click card to, yep. get, to get two credits from it. Um, and also, I mean, obviously, subliminal combos really well with Anoedic, um, just like Flower Sermon, right? So Flower Sermon and Subliminal both combo really well, create this trifecta of like, Econ, draw, and uh, protection, because uh, the Anuidic costs cards to, to power. Exactly. And you also have some slightly marginal edge cases, like if they run into an Engram flush early in the game, because you can run them in startup. It normally costs two to res, but if you reveal a card and they lose a card, you know, you get a credit back. So it's now effectively a five strength, one cost to res ice, which is really good. Wow. Uh, and then celebrity gift is another one that if you have nothing else that could trigger your ID, that's at least another credit you can squeeze out of celebrity gift. Plus one credit from celebrity gift. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And, and then worst case scenario, you can just, uh, you can use the ability on the ID to reveal a card from their hand instead of clicking. for Exactly. Them. Yep. That's cool. Yeah, so it was a lot it. of fun. I'm, I'm really happy to see uh, well, first of all, I'm actually just really happy to see some kind of success with Jinteki because I've there's there's not like one particular thing I love about Jinteki other than their like 
kind of the faction that creates the brass tempo tax of cards and that's mm-hmm. built into their faction and so like money is sort of a flexible resource in netrunner uh but cards are much less so and so i really like that kind of being built into Genteki. you know a person hits a snare they have to draw up i like that a lot and um and i like that they kind of force that tempo race but the, other than that they just haven't seemed very good so i'm really pleased to see you making some success with them and especially with hyobu because that's like a really weird id yeah i really liked it it was a lot of fun and, and definitely very different so hopefully uh give it a try it's a lot of fun um and i think that they have i think personal evolution is still a really fun id to play it just i don't know if it's you know, there's that double barrel deck you were playing that I think is really cool, uh, where you've got um, Neurospike and um, uh, what's the the Wayland card? Oh, Punitive uh, Counter-Strike. Punitive, yeah. So yeah, definitely uh, I think that's a really fun deck too that's good at startup. Oh, anyway, oh, uh, I actually just wanted to ask you one more thing about it. So, um, there are a lot of tools that punish kind of early runner remote camping in startup right now. So we've got um, Boomerang and Botulus are both really key uh, tools to basically be like, haha, I can bust your remote now. Um, so what is so what's your kind of strategy with with dealing with these early runner aggression tools here? On your uh, a lot of times, I think that. If you catch them early enough, they might have to only install a botulus with one token on it, which means they can get in once. And if you have something like an Anawedic Void or Hyobu precog, where you only have to then win one side game, it makes that what normally is like a remote buster card not as good. Same with Boomerang, especially Boomerang, because if the run's not successful because you Anawedic them or you win the Hyobu side game then uh you know that that boomerang goes to the trash so that's another um fun little like extra end the run where they can't it's almost like an extra ice that they didn't have on this protecting the server sure so it seems like it seems like uh maybe this is like just a success of of a design paradigm that they pursued where they say early aggression um is going to be possible, but it's going to be possible in, in limited amounts. And that's going to make cards like Kyobu Precog Manifold or Anabetic Void, while expensive and maybe a little inconsistent, a lot more successful because the type of aggression you're dealing with isn't this infinite type of aggression. It's temporary aggression. So a temporary tool is more than enough. Yeah. And that was the other reason why I included magnets in the deck, just because sometimes that happens to be the first ice you draw. And if you can protect your remote with a magnet, the botulist isn't going to do anything. Right. They're not going to get in with it. Magnet is a lot better than I thought it was going to be, mostly just because Anarchs are kind of torn between their like normal breakers and the strength of botulist, which is a really powerful card. Um, yeah. And so you see Anarchs kind of doing like, I'm going to run breaker lists or like, I'm just going to include a couple, but um, Magnet is is really keeping you honest. And especially, I just love that it, um, even if I have my buzzsaw out to break the Magnet, like 
you raising a magnet can still ruin me by taking a botulist that had like six counters on my R&D ice and bringing it over and neutralizing it. So magnet has value, um, kind of has value if your opponent is running those types of, uh, uh, those types of viruses either way or, or chisels, I guess too. Yeah. Nobody runs chisel, but botulist especially. So I'm really pleased to see that magnet did pretty well. Yeah. That was a lot of fun to, to surprise some people with that. Well, enough about the deck I I made. Talk about the uh, fun runner deck you were working on. All right. So my design goal here was I was trying to pick something, and I was like, "Who's who's bad? Who's not good?" Jinteki, right? So no, I'm just mm -hmm. that is what I did oh. in the previous week, and and you followed up on which I'm really pleased with. So this time, I picked Ketzel. <laughs> Awesome. I didn't think Ketzel was very good, uh, and I don't like playing Anarchs, and I uh, and so I'm trying to spread my wings <laughs> a little bit here. Uh, so I tried making a Ketzel deck, and I think our original thought here was, um, okay, here we go, Ketzel. Uh, we don't have E3 anymore, so we can't use her ability like as a late game breaker. Um, so she's a lot worse. Now, you could... We've got a lot of thoughts. Palangi is a, is a really common one. Um, and then we can mm -hmm. continuously use her ability. But my kind of strategy here was I was just going to use her as an aggression tool and say, hey, um, I'm like Kit now. One, maybe one third of your ice. And this is really meta dependent, but like all your barriers early game are going to be useless. Uh, unless they're the big multi-sub ones. But like... Uh, Against rush decks, you know, uh, I've got this got this advantage where now you don't, uh, now your barriers are worse unless you stack them. And then my thinking was um, I can combo that with ice destruction, uh, and that works well either to trash your non-barrier ice or to trash your barrier ice if I feel like you're getting too many. Um, so I went with. Uh, chisels and ice carvers and uh, devil charm, um, and then and then botulus as well. Botulus does work kind of similar to, well, I guess it really doesn't. Botulus probably actually works more similarly to like a Ketzel's effect. Really, it just says, "Hey, look, mm -hmm. I am going to punish you for having uh, on kind of the number of ice you have. If you have not a lot of ice." Um, it's going to be exponentially worse for you. Uh, and and then when you start getting a lot of total ice, that's when I start becoming less effective. Um, so all of this combines into saying, okay, so since I'm really extra good early game, I'm going to go for super aggressive play. So thinking about um, quality of runs, first of all, um, depending on the type of deck you're playing, uh, the thing about the Netrunner servers is that the the quality of the run, the likelihood that you're going to get a Jet and Agenda, it, it increases as it moves from the deck to the remote server. Um, so yeah. run R&D, it's going to be a, uh, a random draw. You may get an Agenda, you may not, you're playing the odds. You run HQ, you might get an Agenda, and especially as the game goes longer if if the runner if the corp hasn't been able to score they're even more likely to to have agendas in hand um and then finally remotes 
Uh, well, the thing about a remote is it's got something good in it. It's got an agenda or it's got a high value upgrade or it's got a high value asset in it, right? And in particular also, the corp spends an increasing amount of energy on these items. And so in reverse order, for a remote server, not only did they spend a quote click to draw the card off of R&D, but they also spent a click to install it and they may or may not have spent credits to res it. Um, and so as you run remotes, uh, if you run a remote and bust it, um, you are denying the corp the most tempo. As opposed to running R&D, right? If you run R&D and you trash the top card of an R&D with an imp, the, co the corp has lost nothing tempo-wise. Um, they did not spend their action to draw a card. They did not spend any money. Um, and then in the middle, you've got HQ. So they spent their free draw to get into HQ or maybe a click to get into HQ. So, um, so for the uh, value runs, um, we've got botulists to kind of camp the remote. Um, and, we, and I put imps in to uh, basically say, hey, be afraid of me. I'm doing something useful. Um, it's kind of interesting because I feel like imp in particular, it really shines against combo decks, like operation combo decks, like punitive. Um, which if I'm playing against a Glacier deck, this deck really didn't perform very well. Um, yeah. But um, you can knock out combo pieces. You can knock ice out of their hand. And especially if you knock ice out of the corpse hand, I mean, that's fantastic, right? Uh, they they spent a click to draw it. Now they've got to dig for more ice. Um, and then it's also got Stargates. And Stargate is, I'm not really, I don't know. I'm kind of torn on it. I don't like how expensive it is. I do like how powerful it is. Um, I like that you can trash ice, you can trash agendas, it's good. Um, high value runs, it fits in the theme, but um, it kind of it kind of also forced me into that um, breakerless style play uh, where you're like, I need botulists and chisels, right? Because I don't have a bunch of extra memory to, uh, to deal with stuff. Um, ultimately, I think, I think the funniest thing about it was it actually taught me a lot about Anarch. Uh, especially start, oh, really? startup anarch because there was just i mean i kind of understood how they were working fundamentally but i learned a lot so when you go into this virusy sort of plan um like botulists and and chisels especially you want cookbook right and cookbook's a great card um and anarchs kind of have trouble with money and so i was having real money problems until i threw fermenters in which combo with cookbook and it's just a good card yep. And so um, that really helped um, putting fermenters in there. And it fits with the whole theme of I can recur this with symbol chips if I really need to, if I need economy. And so that kind of hardly, I kind of realized that you're kind of, you're like leaning into this virus plan. And the more you do, the stronger all of the pieces get with each other. Um, and, and if you don't want to go for the virus plan, then they all kind of get weaker. Um, so that was, mm. that was pretty interesting. Like if you're just going to run botulist, then cookbook isn't really super good. So I... I can see now that like why cards like Magnet are so good um, because Magnet is really good if your opponent is running a lot of viruses, um, especially if you can get that dream scenario where they try to bust your remote, they install a botulist on an unresed ice and then it happens to be a Magnet and then they res the Magnet, pull another botulist and they double botulist, uh, they, they double neutralized your botulist. You totally did not do that to me ever. Nope. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a lucky day. Uh, so yeah. that was an interesting thing I learned about um, Anarch. Uh, one of their best econ cards also just happens to be Paladin Poemu. It turns out, yeah. Uh, like 
they're always installing stuff. They're, they're like the faction. They're, they're just like constantly putting stuff out there. And so if you can get Paladin early, I mean, he's really good, even if you're not running um, Kiko, which I did end up doing, actually. I, I can see now this relationship between Kiko giving you two extra memory um, and comboing with all the companions. And even if that companion is just simply Paladin Poemu, um, every turn that you get... Uh, install a card you get two credits and that is really good just between those two cards yep. you don't even need to lean into the companions anymore um and so if you're going for that like if you're going for virus anarch i think kiko was kind of the design element that they were going for and i understand why it makes sense now uh whereas before i was just like companion themed i don't know i don't want to run all these companions i don't really like them all but i can see now you don't you don't necessarily need them all um, Gachapon was, uh, another card I kind of discovered. I was digging for, I, I was looking for tempo cards and I'm like, how do I, now I can see that they've made a distinct change from how Anarchs used to be. Anarchs yeah. used to be the faction that self mills and then uses your archives as your, your library, as your, um, as your deck, right? So you're going to install all okay. these recursion tools you're going to mill your deck, and then you have instant speed, whatever you need, right? Uh, same old thing, account siphon, clone chip, botulus. Uh, all of these programs like botulus, your breakers, chisels, all work better at instant speed. And they work really well from your archives at instant speed. So we've discovered that cards like Inject are not present in startup. Cards like street peddler are not present in startup and so this idea of anarchs self-milling themselves i realized they heavily neutered and it hurts <laughs> yeah. that's how i that's how i want to play anarchs and they don't. i think they only have moshing right now in startup yeah so we did a deep dive on all the anarch cards and i was like wait can they just not do this anymore is that just like did they take it out completely because uh because gachapone you look at six cards, install one, remove, uh, put three back in your deck, and then remove two from the game. You do not put them in your discard pile. Um, and so they distinctly made a card that was like, you're going to get the variance, but you're not going to get the self-mill, which absolutely compensated for the variance um, on a lot of those yeah. other effects. Um, it, so much so that you were almost playing all of your cards, not for the variance at all. You were playing them just to mill your own deck, right? Um, and they go, okay, that's too good. Let's just go back to the variants. I actually really appreciate that because Anarchs are supposed to be powerful, but random, you know, chaotic. And that's, yeah. and that's not how they were right for so long in Netrunner, They were more like, I'm chaos, mill my whole deck and then play any card at instant speed. And you're like, that's, that's not chaos. What is this? This is, yeah. <laughs> this is order. <laughs> Uh, you just you just flipped your deck you flipped your deck upside down and <laughs> now it's hundred percent better. And now you're playing, yeah. No, and I I think you had a lot of fun. Um, definitely, you know. It, and they also provided economic discount too. I think with Gachapone. They do. It's what too, but you can't use it to install hardware. Particularly interesting. You cannot use it to install yeah. hardware, which is good. Uh, yep. but you can't use it with boomerang, which I did put in the deck and I'm still kind of iffy on, um, it's not as good as Q loop. <laughs> yeah. 
but that's a different deck i think i think uh but yeah getting the program so that's why also you want to run lots of duplicates right so you're like i have tons of programs that aren't unique so they will be able to be played like hopefully i'll find the chisel i need or just another copy of botulus or something yeah um, and i think it also plays virtual resources so it's going to get you uh you know xanadu or ice carver cookbook uh, I, yep and paladin Paladin, paladin. yeah it's big Uh, yeah, I think one of the I think one of the elements of the Anarch Color Pie is this this virtue of um, I don't have the ability to search for cards in my deck. I have card draw, and my card draw is going to be effectively worse because I'm going to be drawing duplicates of cards so that I'm more likely to draw them. And then as a complementary part of that color pie, they're the faction that can get value out of cards simply for virtue of them being cards right like uh yeah. faust <laughs> okay maybe not faust but i mean absolutely right you're good <laughs> um but that that was where they were going with that right is that you want yeah. to use cards as as fuel and that that synergizes with this i'm uh, a lot of duplicates in your deck you know um i think the ideal in my opinion the ideal anarch deck right is you pick 15 cards three copies of each not, I don't mean ideal thematically or or, um, or or efficiently, but like if that's that's the design that the anarchs are supposed to go for. Is I don't I don't have virtue of consistency outside of the virtue of draw, like like the zerg, right? Doesn't matter yep. what I have, I have a lot of it. Have a nice day. <laughs> it's coming at you, and then uh, kind of going back to Gauchapod a little bit. Uh, I think we I might have said it three different ways too. Because I'm terrible at pronunciation, but uh, gotcha pod, gotcha pod. Anyway, I, got, uh, I like gotcha pwn because it's like you got pwned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go, there you go. Uh, but that's why you run the duplicates, right? So you could be like, well, you know, this game, he's not running a lot of ice, so I could get rid of this third copy of Chisel, or I already have my Paladin Poemu, so who needs the you know second or third copy? So that's where. The exiling, at least it's making your deck a little bit smaller. You're hopefully going to find the tools that, that you need in the future, too, um, without gaining that crazy efficiency like the older Anarch-style decks did. Yeah, because that was the problem, right? Is that their virtue was drawing and people figured out how to make that work too well, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, just one more kind of, I guess, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, was that uh, moshing is like their only self mill card and uh i didn't i didn't realize that but that's true so i started putting it in and man moshing is a lot better than i thought it was i thought it was really bad and now that i'm starved for these effects to put stuff in my discard pile so i can get it at instant speed with simul chip uh suddenly moshing is really good uh, and it's getting rid of all of my duplicates. I drew my duplicate console, like just get rid of it. Um, yeah. you know, give me, it's like a, it's like kind of gas. Ultimately, ultimately it's, you're gaining three credits. You're not netting any new cards, uh, but you're cycling bad cards and you know, you can burn through your deck real fast if you're digging for tools that you need. Uh, so I, I was actually very pleased with Moshing's design. Yeah. It's interesting. I, uh, I 
I've been playing a, f- a few more Anarch decks along the way. I think you were playing more criminal decks when we first started. Yeah, that's um, true. But I also liked moshing a lot with the other decks. Uh, I think uh, Rene is drawing when he trashes a card that he's accessing, and um, Hoshiko is uh, drawing it if she's accessed a card the previous turn. Oh, yeah. So when you get that extra card it makes moshing a little bit better because you kind of you have to play one card and trash three other cards so so if you get if you go to six cards and you have an extra click then you go down to five yeah and it also was easier to hit that minimum moshing maybe a little bit later where you're like i need to find the botulist to get in or you know i need to find the the symbol chip moshing hurts if you have to pay to draw the card yeah, you know, it's so. not fun when you have to draw, uh, which it still was good in your Ketzel deck, but I think I, it felt even better in some of the other decks. I think I, I completely forgot that um, the other two Anarch IDs both have draw built in. I mean, I was talking about how like Anarch is the faction that kind of gets the juice, but kind of can't use it to its fullest effect. Uh, and that makes complete sense. I forgot that they had they had card draw built into their IDs. One of the things with uh, maybe that's why Ketzel just doesn't quite meet Renee or Hoshiko is just because she there's not any cards that really turn her ID faction into really great um, efficiency. While the other other IDs, just for the sheer fact that they're drawing cards and making even money, both of them for drawing those cards too, if they could trigger it, their abilities. Uh, they're getting a little bit more fuel and I'm hoping that maybe in the next, in the Borealis cycle, maybe there's a little bit of a tool for Quetzal or maybe a cybernetic that kind of takes them to the next level. Yeah, I mean, she's losing a lot of opportunity cost where the other IDs are giving a lot of economic value. And actually, my original design did use uh, the uh, Desperados... um, Penny Shaver, because the idea was, was like, I'm going to run and I'm going to get value for it. And I'm going to get in because of Ketzel's ID. But what ended up happening was I got locked out or I had to pay value for something like Botulus. Um, and I almost was obligated to run and I, and I was losing even more tempo. I feel like Anarchs mm. are just not a run faction, uh, run all the time faction right now. And that might be Anarchs specifically, that might be all runners. I, I don't really know, but um, when I switched to kind of more like, I'm going to sit back and build and I'm going to make value runs instead of, I'm sorry, I'm going to make targeted high influential runs, yeah. not a lot of runs. Um, the deck started performing a lot better for me, or even maybe to say Anarchs performed better for me. Yeah, and just to kind of circle back, I, I know you kind of were mixed feelings on Stargate, but after playing a little bit more, I've really turned around to it just because the cards that you the three cards you trash one of them instead of accessing them those cards aren't shuffled in the deck so a lot of times you as the rudder gain a lot of knowledge about what is coming um because the corp is going to draw the first card that you didn't trash and then unless they draw a second card or have an ability that gets them that card you know what the following turns draw is going to be um now you only can stargate once a turn, so you can't typically find two agendas, you know, 
the same in the same round by start getting twice but you could set up a situation where you know if you trash enough ice along the way if you keep uh, chiseling and destroying the R&D ice and keep hammering it you can really control and know what the corp is getting yeah stargate's super powerful um there's a reason that they made keyhole shuffle uh so that you can't get that same quality of R&D lock mm-hmm. um i i i mean you know i'm still really torn on whether or not it it should be shuffled because you know obviously it's great not having to shuffle all the time even though we're all playing virtually nowadays, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it is, it, you know, I th- the, that R and D lock effect of Stargate is extremely powerful. Yeah, and I and I do think there are even in startup like ways that you can get out of the lock. But sometimes, man, if you just are scrambling to kind of shore up your R and D, that they're like, "Well, I'm botulating you again. I'm chiseling you again," and hey, I'm Ketzel. I could get in. Uh, it could be pretty hard to break it. Yeah, there were a couple. There was actually one game um, that I played against you, and I and y- your deck in particular is trying to rush behind a remote. And when all you draw was your two palisades, yeah, uh, suddenly Ketzel's actually amazing. Like there were some games <laughs> where you didn't do anything, but uh, you were like, "Oh my gosh! Like, what do I do? Like, I don't have a lot of ice, and then the few ice I get, you're destroying or you're putting botulus on." Uh, yeah and... and then you break the second one and you know it's even one piece one palisade when you've got a botulus on it and your quetzal you know you better have a lot of cards to discard with anawedic or be really good at side games <laughs> or i'm not keeping you out i i one of the things i loved about your Jinteki deck was that it used that scoring tempo to like one of the one of the biggest design kind of issues about Netrunner originally was that scoring agendas gave you points, but it cost you tempo. And we've been designing mm-hmm. away from that, which is a little dangerous because it turned corpse way faster. Um, yeah. But, uh, but I like it. I, I like the feeling of like, I scored an agenda and this is going to do something really great for me. Uh, because so many, for the longest time, decks were just like, I'm going to score this agenda. It doesn't do anything. Unless you're at NBN yeah, and, and then you score that, you know, I'm going to win the game now. This is great. Yep, yep. Astro chain, toot toot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that they have. You know, there's the the one four two that you just get seven money. There's the one uh, four two where you purge and you make four credits every time you purge. So there's definitely a lot more IDs that really can keep you chugging along. Sure. Sure. Oh, that was pretty yeah. exciting. All right. So next, uh, next, uh, next episode. Hopefully, we have some new content from uh, the Borealis cycle uh, that maybe yeah. we can splurge over a little bit. I don't really like doing reviews, but I do like I do like talking about design. So you know, maybe I'll get suckered into it. I'll try. I'll try my best. <laughs> 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 and uh do you think we should try to make some more decks or are we just exhausted at this point no no i would love to make some more decks and it was a lot of fun because i really i like before i, I mentioned in the second or third episode i net deck a lot so it was kind of fun to actually maybe make something more my own so i kind of got the creative juices flowing and oh, excited to maybe keep doing this 
it definitely got me over the hump a little bit. Like I feel like I understand things a lot more and it was it was hard, but I feel like I learned so much doing it. And that's half the fun, right? And uh I don't think we've mined all the I think there's still some depth to startup we could find, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh my gosh. I completely forgot to mention that the whole original idea for the Quetzal deck was Climactic Showdown, which I forgot to include in Iteration 1, and I have forgotten to include in every single iteration since then. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're, you're like, let's let's add even more uh, <laughs> ice trashing stuff, and it's like, what? where is it? It's not there. Oh, no. I completely <laughs> forgot. Maybe that's, that's going to be the one card we're going to discover is the Sleeper. I know it. Oh no, it's so hard because it, it always triggers the following turn you play it. That's the only, that's the main downside issue. It's not optional, so uh, that's it's, the hard thing. That's why it's anyway, climactic. That's why, that's why it's, it's climactic. climactic. <laughs> next time, Nathan. We'll talk about it next time. So, uh, anything else? Nope, that's it. Let's get on out of here. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.